The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations of listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely on our website at kopn.org. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture and find food truth. And today, I am delighted to welcome back one of my favorite guests, Mr. Anthony Flacavento. He is a commercial organic farmer in the Appalachian region of southwestern Virginia. He has been involved in local economy and sustainable food and farming initiatives for nearly 30 years, both as a nonprofit leader and an entrepreneur. His consulting business is called Scale Inc., and he works with communities around the country to analyze, plan for, develop, and strengthen local economies and food systems, providing both hands-on technical assistance and research and analytical tools, which we're going to talk about here in a moment. Now, he has spoken and written extensively on issues related to sustainability and the economy, and he was a former Food and Society Policy Fellow, which is initially how we met. He's presently working on a new book. It will be out in 2016 about building the bottom-up economy, but we are specifically going to talk most about the Local Foods Cost Calculator and a wonderful report that I had the pleasure of reviewing in, in preparation for our interview called Putting Local on the Menu, Tools and Strategies for Increasing the Utilization of Locally Raised Food in Restaurants and Food Service. So welcome, Anthony. It's great to have you back. Oh, it's terrific to be back, Melinda. Thanks. In talking with you and in reading some of your materials, and one of the things that always comes up about local food is, oh, it's too expensive. You know, I'd love to shop at my farmer's market, but gosh, you know, it costs so much more. And we have these price wars going on between this local system and this mainstream commodity-based food system that is based on cheapness. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about your perspective as an organic farmer and how you got into this line of work. Sure, I'd love to. And price is always such a a critical part of not only the food question, particularly the food question, but really our whole approach to economy is sort of the notion that uh, economic progress is always more product moving through the system more cheaply. And that's uh, certainly been a defining feature of of our economy and the big box nature of our economy. But from the food point of view, you know, I've approached this from a couple of ways. So I've been farming on a small commercial scale for 21 years organically. I've been certified organic that whole time. And I've always personally been somewhat torn between trying to get a good enough price where we can actually make a little bit of money for a lot of hard work and where the majority of our customers can comfortably afford and yet still have really good quality, tasty, healthy food that's available for working folks and, and young and old, unlimited incomes, et cetera. So it's a, I think it's a real challenge that most farmers are trying to figure out how they can price things so that it works. And the, besides my personal experience at the farmer's market and selling to restaurants and selling to larger retail outlets, Scale, my consulting business, took on a couple of research projects over the last few years. One was a look at farmer's markets in Appalachia in the southeast. We went to 25 different farmer's markets in six states, uh, Virginia, West Virginia, Kentucky, North Carolina, and South Carolina, and we priced what we called a basket of everyday foods. 
So it wasn't really exotic stuff. It was more like potatoes and tomatoes and cucumbers and peppers and beans, along with eggs, chicken, ground beef, and some sort of a pork product like a sausage. And we, we took an average price across the vendors, both conventional vendors and organic, for that basket of everyday foods. And then in that same community, we went to a mainstream supermarket. So not a high-end, not a specialty, but like a Kroger or a a food line or a food city. And we, as best as we could, priced the identical products. And what was amazing is that we found that in 75% of the cases, small towns and mid-sized and larger cities, the farmer's market, the basket of goods at farmer's markets, were at or below the cost of the supermarket. And when we looked at organic and compared that to organic prices in supermarkets, they were at or below the supermarket price in 88% of the cases and usually far below. So we undertook that study because I was kind of tired of hearing, sort of opening the Washington Post or a Time magazine or whatever and hearing that farmer's markets were just for the wealthy. Farmer's market were just for the foodie elites and mm-hmm. ordinary people couldn't afford to shop there. I thought, well, that's not my experience. Yeah. So we did the study, and it wasn't the entire country, but it was a, a nice little slice and really, I think, challenged that idea. So that's one piece of the price equation. And then more recently, we undertook this cost calculator research in recognition that even though farmers markets are affordable, the goal of the local food system is not fundamentally to compete with super cheap global commoditized food and that we can and must figure out a way to pay a little bit more for good stewardship, for fair labor practices, for good management, and for farmers to have a life. So that was a little different take. Mm-hmm. So what I want to know is, did you find or did you also ask the farmers at these farmers markets if they were making a living Well, we've asked that question informally of different farmers and not as part of that study. We kept the study really focused on pricing. But I think it's one heck of a question. And certainly, I don't know if you uh, recall the the op-ed piece that Brendan Smith, a fisherman, did in the New York Times last year where he, he basically said that farmers not making a living or not making much of a living is, uh, he didn't quite call it this, but essentially the dirty little secret of the local food movement. Yeah. I think it's it's really true. You know, an interesting thing, I, I have a good buddy who's uh, worked with me at Appalachian Sustainable Development. He's an organic farmer as well. And he put it pretty simply just last year when we were talking about the struggles and how just a, just a small weather event or uh, some problem with infrastructure can be the difference between a decent year and, and a bad year. And he said, you know, he still loves it and he's still doing it, but he said, overall, it's too little money for too much work. And I think that's the common reality for many people. But the average consumer, especially if you go to a nice, robust farmer's market, they actually think exactly the opposite. When When he started talking to his customers about the return they make, and when I've told our customers that, you know, we have good years and we have bad years, but overall we don't make a great deal of money, they're shocked because what they see is these long lines at our booths and they see, you know, hundreds of people at the market and they see this beautiful, robust display of produce at our stand and others and it seems to be flying off the shelf and they think, man, these guys must be doing great. And 
they have no idea about when you really cost it all out, not just your seeds and supplies and whatnot, but all the way through to the true cost of labor. It's pretty tough to make a living on a small scale. Right. So what I've noticed, and I just have a view of my own market, and I see how different farmers manage their business, what I see is that they will sell perhaps at the market, They'll sell perhaps through a CSA or community-supported agriculture where people will pay upfront for a season subscription to produce and have an investment in both the benefits and losses. And then there's also an opportunity for some of those farmers to sell directly to restaurants and schools. And I wonder, do farmers do better when they have a balance of those, or are they better off maybe gearing their business towards one avenue? Well, I think it's more complex and takes better planning and better management to sell into, I'll say both. I'll call one side of it direct-to-consumer, so that can be a farmer's market, a CSA, or both, or it could be a farm stand on your farm, but direct-to-consumer as one style of marketing. And then the other is through an intermediary, a food hub, whether it's a community-based hub or selling to a, a big supplier, And I think that it is more complex and it's more challenging because you have to grow sometimes for somewhat different standards. If you're selling to a university or you're selling to a retailer, they're going to have, they're going to want a different kind of tomato and a different, you know, different sizing and and picking standard. And also your planning is going to be a little bit different because at a farmer's market, you of course always want to have as much variety as possible. That's what draws people in. But your the standards, the aesthetic standards, can be a bit more forgiving at a farmer's market than, than at a supermarket. So you have, you have different considerations. So it does take a little more planning, and it takes better management to do both. But increasingly, that's what I recommend to people, particularly if they've been at it for a while. I mm-hmm. think if you're a new farmer and you're just starting, then to start focused on a, a farmer's market or a CSA is a really good choice. But if you're going to stick with it, selling into larger volume markets, whether it's whether it's restaurants or a food hub that then turns around and sells to restaurants or you sell to retailers, just allows you to move a lot more product. The, the balance is, and the thing that a lot of farmers don't look closely at is, when you sell to a, a food hub or an aggregator or a bigger buyer, you definitely can move much more product for much less marketing time or transaction costs. So when I sell to the Appalachian Harvest Food Hub we started, I can load up my truck, with $900 or $1,000 worth of produce, drive 50 miles, drop it at the aggregation center, and I'm done with it. To sell that volume of produce at the farmer's market would take many, many more hours of prep, of actual selling, of breakdown. So there's an advantage to selling those larger volumes. So the question comes back to how low a price can you tolerate and still make money doing that? Because you know the old farmer saying, I lose money on every bushel I sell, but I make it up in volume. So, you know, you can't do that. If you're selling it at a price that you don't make money at, then it doesn't matter how much you sell. You're just going in deeper. Right. Okay, so I want to jump into your excellent report. It was published in August of 2014, Putting Local on the Menu, Tools and Strategies for Increasing the Utilization of Locally Raised Food in Restaurants and Food Service. And I have to tell you, I went through and I really loved this report because you identified best practices. And I've written articles on these topics before, and it was so good for me personally to see that, oh, yes, it's the same thing I identified in the past in terms of best practices, such as little things like reducing waste. 
I don't know how many farmers or food businesses calculate the the true cost of their food in terms of waste. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so the the study, which was then accompanied by this electronic spreadsheet that I'm sure we'll talk about, the cost calculator, mm-hmm. it was undertaken because, as I myself personally have sold to restaurants and sold to institutions, colleges and universities, uh, either directly myself or through through some sort of a hub, I realized that while there's a great deal of enthusiasm for buying local, you know, pretty much everybody's got the bug, and it's it's chefs and it's it's university dining people and it's retailers. The, the devil's in the details, and one of those devils is, is always around what are they willing to pay. So what we did in the first half of that, in the, in the putting local on the menu study, was we identified roughly 20 restaurants and colleges and universities around the country, mostly in places, not entirely, but mostly in places that you don't associate with the local food movement. So places like Little Rock, Arkansas, for instance, and Arizona and other places. And we wanted to stay away from going to the most obvious choices, the Shea Panisas and whatnot of the world, and find where are they doing this, where are people actually doing significant amounts of local buying and making it work, and how are they making it work. So that was the best practice part. And what we found, for instance, the restaurant in Little Rock, the Root Cafe, is only three and a half years old, it's about 75% local sourcing. And all of its meats are from grass-finished, pasture-based, humanely raised animals that are sourced locally. So it's really quite, a, and it's a very, and I've been there, it's a very down-home, lovely food, but very easygoing, unpretentious, with really quite reasonable prices. So we started talking with him as one of the people in the study, Jack, and said, how the heck do you do this? Because most Chefs will buy a little bit, they'll buy a little basil, they'll buy a few heirloom tomatoes, but basically they say, I can't afford it. So the way he does it, rather than drive the price of the farmers down, is he reduces his waste, and he also does really clever things, like he simply uses smaller dinner plates. So when he makes their signature chicken salad from local free-range chickens and local greens and local berries, it's a beautiful salad but it's put on a 9-inch dinner plate instead of a 12-ounce dinner plate. And that small step allows him to serve a more reasonable size portion and stretch that chicken a little bit further. Not only that, but he says to us, we don't have a chicken breast sandwich on the menu. We couldn't afford that. But by cooking the whole chicken and turning the chicken itself into chicken salad, we get several meals out of that. Then we make stock from the carcass and we use that in our soups and to flavor other things. So there's lots of kind of old-fashioned things that grandmas did that these chefs and even some of the university people are doing so that they don't have to get into a price war with their farmers. Right. Listeners, if you're just joining us, we are speaking with Mr. Anthony Flacavento. He is an organic farmer in the Appalachian region of southwestern Virginia. We're talking about his work with his consulting business called Scale Inc., and we're talking about a cost calculator looking at local versus conventional, and we're also going to get 
a chance to talk about his new book, Looking at the Bottom-Up Economy. Well, Anthony, I think, too, another big factor in terms of, and you mentioned this earlier, in terms of the acceptability of produce that, say, a supermarket might reject, a farmer's market might be a little bit more comfortable in not accepting perfectly formed fruits and vegetables. But I am, and others, am on a campaign to help people see imperfection as beautiful and to understand that these quote-unquote ugly pieces of fruits and vegetables are actually just fine to eat. Not rotten, but it's okay to have misshapen pieces of fruits and vegetables. And, you know, it doesn't have to be perfect. And, in fact, when I see something perfect, I've come to start thinking about it as something being wrong because I figure it's probably been sprayed or it's probably not maybe a local heirloom kind of heritage variety. So I noticed that was another one of the strategies in making it work, you know, one of those best practices, using yes, seconds. Absolutely, absolutely. So with meat, there's not exactly an equivalent of seconds, but what it is is willing to do things like that instead of getting the breasts of the chicken and the rest become sort of disposable. You use the entire chicken or you use more of the ground beef for items in creative ways rather than always looking for the big expensive primal cuts. And with produce, it is a willingness to use things in all kinds of ways. And and I think good farmers as well as good food hubs are figuring that out too. They're trying to figure out, okay, there are certain markets where, because, you know, on our farm we have really, really beautiful heirloom tomatoes and we get a pretty good price from them, but then we always have a table of a second, and they're still pretty darn nice, but they might have a little crack or split or a little bit of an irregularity. And there's people that love that across the income spectrum. There's people who gravitate towards the seconds, probably for some of the same reasons you do. So I think that you can do that at a farmer's market, and you can do that knowing who you're selling to. You're not going to successfully sell seconds to a retailer because at this point in our in our history and our culture. They just won't put ugly stuff, in quotations, ugly stuff on their shelves. But you sure can sell it to uh, a university dining hall that's going to just chop it and dice it and maybe cook with it. So understanding understanding your markets really helps you move, you know, all of your product. Mm -hmm. And so I want to jump into the calculator and how you came up with this model of putting a truer price on the cost of food. Sure. So, again, it very much came out of personal experience. And what was frustrating to me that led me to come up with this was I I had been having, and, again, we have many chefs that I think the world of and who've helped the local food economy around here. But also I heard this consistent refrain. We would be selling, say, a case of beautiful organic tomatoes for $30 a box, and they might be getting them for $18 a box through Cisco or whoever their supplier was or U.S. Foods, and they would say to me, now look, I'm willing to pay a little more for local food, but 30 instead of 18, goodness, you're almost double. I can't charge double for my sandwiches that have your tomatoes on them. And I would think to myself, yeah, but you don't need to charge double because the tomatoes are just one part of your cost. And so I thought, well, what if we came up with a tool that really broke that down? So that's what we did. The cost calculator is a spreadsheet. And in the spreadsheet, it lists about 25 different fairly commonly purchased items by restaurants. And then the list for university dining is is slightly different. It's got a few items that the restaurants don't and vice versa. But basically a list of a couple dozen items that comprise a lot of the purchasing, mostly produce but also several meat items. And for every one of them, 
what the cost calculator does is it breaks down the price difference from a case price to a per plate or per menu item cost. So in other words, if you are selling to a chef and you have the cost calculator, or, or he or she does, and they look at your $30 box of tomatoes and they're getting them for 18 their initial reaction almost always would be, whoa, that's way more. But then you plug it into the cost calculator, those two numbers, and it goes through a series of calculations as to, well, how much tomato do you use in a typical dish? And when it does that, it'll do the math and tell you that for them to buy your $30 tomatoes, they would actually be paying about $0.07 cents more per plate to put a slice of this beautiful homegrown tomato on a sandwich or a salad. And if they were making a caprese, where they're using, where, where the tomato is the center of the dish, it might be 25 cents more. So instead of seeming to be fantastically more expensive, it allows them to see that actually I can purchase a number of these ingredients and either incorporate it into my cost structure or maybe just charge a tad more for the local. The other feature it has is it then allows them to do that on an item-by-item -item basis, so they could just say, I want to buy tomatoes, or I want to buy raspberries, or I want to buy zucchini, and they can find out just what the cost difference would be to use those items. They can also then say, no, I want this whole menu item. I want to do uh, a meatloaf with local grass-finished ground beef. I want a side of roasted potatoes. Using local, I want um, a slice of cantaloupe, and I want a small side salad. And they can figure out then the cost of going totally local for all of those items. And in the, the examples we've done, it's typically in the range of 75 cents to a dollar more, depending, of course, on you know the items and the different prices. But even assuming that local is significantly more, when you break it down, what it says to that chef is, well, now if I did that, and then I turn around to my customers and say, instead of, 9.99 for this meatloaf plate. We're going to offer it for 10.99 and let you know that we're supporting local organic farmers. That's probably a pretty saleable proposition. So that's what the cost calculator does. We've done a few webinars and workshops, and so far people have been really excited to have what what really is a pretty simple tool. But as far as we could tell, it wasn't out there. I think it's brilliant. Now let's give people a website since you mentioned the webinar. You've got Gosh, there's so many webinars and resources at the National Good Food Network, sponsored, I suppose, by the Wallace Center and Winrock International. Right. So is there a website that you specifically want to refer people to? Well, the easiest thing would be to go to my website, Scale, because on that they can read the farmer's market study we talked about. They can read the putting local on the menu, and they can download the cost calculator themselves. It's freely available to anybody. There's also archived on the Wallace Center website, the webinar that we did about this in which Jack Sundell from the Root Cafe and another representative from a college in Minnesota both spoke as well as me. You can go to the Wallace Center for that. But if you're interested in either of those two studies or other things that SCALE has been involved with, it's a pretty simple website. It's www.ruralscale.com. Okay. So rural, as in like urban rural, ruralscale.com. I'll make and sure we had that on the website for the radio station. And then, okay, great. Yeah, so everyone can go directly to that. You know, I, I try to think of, you know, way beyond the plate, so the impact of the local communities. And I like the point that you made about, 
you're going to sell this dish for a dollar more. And what a great tool to be able to show people how you can make this work, and it's really not that much more. I would gladly not only pay a dollar more for the plate of more delicious food, but as you say, I want to support the local farmer. I want to make sure that we have farms within our community. I think that's important for resiliency for a region. But I also wonder how that impacts the community. Like, are we getting any sort of evaluations coming back from people who are using this and measuring things that are harder to put our arms around, like community cohesiveness, uh, community wellness, you know, this, this general overall feeling of wellness and community that's hard to put your finger on, but we know that it's connected to good outcomes in public health. Yeah, you know, not so far from my cost calculator. I think it's too new. It came out towards the end of last summer, and I think probably this season will be, this upcoming season, 2015, will hopefully be the first where it's really fairly widely used, and I'm, I'm hoping it is because I'd love to get that feedback. How is it playing in? How is it helping to advance this? But I think you certainly are aware of it, and probably a lot of your listeners, that the, the research that's out there about the tremendous multiple positive impacts of strong local economies is just compelling. It's covering so many bases. And usually at the center of those strong local economies is a strong local food system. That's right. But, it, but it's, you know, what we you have the study from the Project for Public Spaces that said that, that about 65% of the people that they interviewed nationwide who shopped at farmers' markets only came into town, whatever that means, big or small, only came into town on market days. So we know that farmers' markets are drawing a lot of people in specifically to that. And then the great news is that of those people who come into town for market, almost two-thirds said they stick around and they shop at other local venues at that point once they're in town for the market. So we see that. We see the research that's come out about the once you have vibrant, diverse local economies, you have better health, lower crime and incarceration rates, improved birth weights for babies, better maternal care, more civic participation. I mean, it's so extraordinarily uh, rich, the evidence about the value of strong, diverse local economies as a tool not just for people to have more jobs and better jobs and better income, but for social outcomes and for civic outcomes. If people do engage more with their neighbors, they are more likely not only to vote, but to join other voluntary associations. So there's just so many of what ails us, so many things that ail us as a nation can be begun to be fixed by building these bottom-up, diverse local economies. I'm convinced of that. They're not sufficient in themselves, but they're sort of the foundation of rebuilding the country, I think. We just have a minute left, and I'm going to have to have you come back and talk about your book, but I'm assuming that all of what you just said is really the foundation of the new book that you're going to have coming out in 2016 about this bottom-up economy. Is that right? Yeah, see, I was, that was sort of a teaser. Yeah, that's great. Well, you know what? We just have a few seconds. Do you want to leave us with a charge? Well, I think uh, my charge right now, and it's certainly going to be in the book when we talk about it, is for that great body of people, not only farmers, but the people who support local farmers, the, the conscious consumers, who are very involved in their local communities, I want to say do it, do it more widely, do it beyond food, and 
realize that just acting locally, as important as it is, is not enough. We need to re-engage with the bigger social and political debates as well. Thank you so much. We have been speaking with Mr. Anthony Flacavento, commercial organic farmer in the Appalachian region of southwestern Virginia, the author of a brand new book coming up on this bottom-up economy and looking at the true cost and the benefits of local food. In closing, I want to remind everyone that Food Sleuth Radio is produced at KOPN Studios by Dan Hemmelgarn in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. Thank you, listeners, for joining us, and thank you so much for being my guest, Anthony. Absolute pleasure. Thanks, Melinda.